spend money on that. Incorrect. We spend much more money now than we're ever spending on purses. But what's happened is... Well, I who? Because I, I, I didn't get some of that. No, I'm talking... <laughs> well, you did. I think no, you did. No, no, I didn't get you some of that. You only boxed... Nothing Twice on design? Yeah, five And every time we had box on design, it was a hit. Is what? It was a big, big blockbuster. Was it? Yeah. No, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't. You fought Josie Parker in the second fight, and you boxed Pulev in the second fight. It was. It wasn't a blockbuster. It was a decent night, but I wouldn't say it knocked yeah. the socks off the numbers. We've done a lot of bigger fights than that. I think you were. I think we've done an outstanding job for you. I think no, I don't. I, I, I don't, don't like. I don't, I don't like it. I tell you what. I don't no. like about you. I don't like it. When yeah. you say silly things about you know, people that care about you and no, have no, treated you well, you know what? And yeah. I know you, 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 you know, you know what? And I know that I know that you knew you, what you said. I know exactly what I was saying because I was I was trying to wind you up. Yeah, I know, but yes, yeah. but you have to understand. I don't say it from from trying to damage your your brand or anything. I just say what I want to say, how I feel like I'm saying it. Yeah, yeah, but I, 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 I don't appreciate yeah, yeah, I would yeah. never I say that about you because I like you. I just dare not like you. I I'm sorry because you've been so good. But, you, today, but, yeah. but the thing is, when people treat you well, you've always treated us well, right? The one thing you always want when it's said and done is for the fighter to go, do you know what? Yeah, he was a bit of a wanker, he's a flash Harry, but he always done what he promised. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where, despite what people tell you, I do show up at the events and I do ask the questions. I just refuse to be the camera guy. You know, I just don't believe grown men should be putting cameras in people's faces and asking questions. It's very effeminate to me. I just, I don't buy into that. Never have done, never will do. I don't know if anyone's seen the Joshua Fight Week performance. You've got a bunch of grown men pointing microphones at another man going, please, sir, please answer my question. <sighs> and that's just not me, man. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I've been independent since I was 18. So I can't be begging no one for anything. I've never done that in my life. And I stand on that. But you're not here to hear my, my rebuttals to, to the camera crew, as we're going to call them now. You know, they do what they do. I do what I do. I wish him all the best. You just wouldn't find me pointing a camera in anyone's face asking those dead-ass questions. That's for damn sure. But having said that, a big shout-out to Boxing Social for no other reason than they seem to be upping their levels. I thought they were on the doldrums for a few years when they were clearly run by clowns. But seeing as you've got new leadership and new ownership, it's, it's a better product. The videos have got timestamps on them, so I can see what I can see the natural flow of the video. And I can listen to the stuff in the order that it interests me. That doesn't mean that I'm going to listen to less. It means I don't have to wait anymore. I can just get to the point and then go, okay, what's all the other stuff? And I think that's really good. So salute for that. And I wish more outlets did that. In fact, I wish I did that on my pod as well. But I'm not about to do myself out of business. What I really want to talk about is the, the perilous state that British boxing's in. And if I'm wrong on this, please feel free to, to pull me up. There were at least nine or ten boxing shows in the UK this weekend. Three of them were televised. Um, there was a show at the White's Hotel in Bolton on Friday that was televised. There was a show in Telford on Saturday on BT Sport that was televised. And there was a show, I don't even know where it was in Manchester, that was also televised. Was it the AO Arena? That was also televised. And you couldn't make a single, yeah, you, you couldn't make a unified card. 
out of the three best fights combined from each of those cards. You just couldn't. That's how bad it was. So if you look at this Bolton show, there's some compelling names on there. So for me, like, I'm interested in Lyndon Arthur because at some point they've got to put him in with his peers. They've got to put him in with the Craig Riches. They've got to put him in with the Joshua Boatsy. They've got to put him in with the Callum Smith. They can't keep farming him off to, to these other guys, right? He can't keep fighting second and third rate opponents because he's better than that. And I don't know much about Lyndon, but I know a few people who trained with him. He's a real competitor. He's a guy who wants to be in that mix. He wants to be part of something where he could look back and go, I mixed it with the best of my generation. And the Saulans aren't delivering that. And I feel that they sold him a bit of a false promise on that one. But I'll always be interested to see how Lyndon gets on because, like I said, he's a guy who's done it the right way. They, they added the other guy, um, Sultan Zorbek. Another, what was he? He's another Kazakh who's failed to deliver, right? Like, was Yulusinov Kazakh as well? These guys just don't deliver in the pros. The only one who has is Golovkin. And we keep signing these Kazakhs hoping that this is another Golovkin. And we're realizing Golovkin may have been a one-off. And then on that card, who was it? There were guys like Bobby Faulkner who are, who are interesting. I've got, I've got a lot of time from Chloe Watson. I hear is highly regarded, but we can all agree that's a small horse show. And that's a small horse show that you'd class as okay. It's not even a special small horse show. It is not a box mania type show. It's not. It's just, it didn't deserve TV coverage. Now, I don't know if that's because TV companies just don't put money into boxing anymore. They just give you a 90-minute slot to say, fill it with whatever you want. If that's the case, fine. But, my God, that was terrible. And then if you break it down, Lyndon Arthur fought the, fought the last-minute replacement. I'm trying to think of his name. That's, <laughs> that's how important he was. That is absolutely insane. I think it was like Boris Crichton. And someone made the joke about Boris being back and all that sort of stuff. Um, but the guy Boris Christen's a super mid. Apparently, I mean, he was doing whatever he was doing. I don't know, flipping pancakes or whatever. Gets a call to come and fight. Drives down for three hours. Shows up. And for the first half of the fight, he did what you normally do when you've been given an unexpected chance. With no pressure on you. He boxed like there's no pressure on his shoulders. Started doing well. And then the pressure got to him. Lyndon Arthur, having been there numerous times, just knew he had to stay consistent for the whole distance. And the Tiders would creep in on Crichton. The lack of experience against someone like Arthur would creep in. And in the end, Lyndon Arthur was able to, I think he put him down, and then just sort of ground out the win. But if you're Lyndon Arthur now, you're like, oh, what do I do now? Right. Let's hold this now. Lyndon Arthur's money-making options are domestic dust-up. Spider... Dan Aziz, Joshua Boatze. Right, That's where it's at. Callum Smith's probably tied up. Um, I don't think you're going to get the numbers on a Shikan Pitters fight that you'd like. And then the other option is he becomes a voluntary for someone. Bivol, Baturbiev. But then what's the upside for them? Is, is he high enough in the rankings to do that? So I feel for Lyndon Arthur. And in, in Lyndon's situation, I'd be banging the drum for a domestic dust-up. He's more than capable, so why not let him do it? And we should be campaigning for that. We should be saying, put Lyndon in this damn mix. He shouldn't be fighting on these sorts of dead cards. And when I say dead card, I'm not taking any disrespect to the kids like Bobby Faulkner, 
who have to go through this process to get their experience. I understand that 100%, but they could have done this at the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester. They could have done this at the Ice Arena in Sheffield. It doesn't make a difference to them. My point is, as a televised product, what was on Friday was trash. And I flip it to Saturday. I have no qualms in going straight into the Frank Warren show on the Saturday. When you've got a stable that consists of guys like Sam Noakes, Dennis McCann, I'm sure you could reach down and grab someone like an Archie Sharp and bring him up. I mean, you've got, you've got talent in your roster. Royston Barney, you've got talent in your roster. Kids who are willing to fight, want to fight. You've got young, young Alois Jr., You've got all of these young guys on your roster. And despite that, you've managed to concoct a card this bad. I don't even know who you class as the headliner on this. Is it Andrew Kane? Because he's not a headliner. Is it Nathan Heaney? Because I'll say this now, on, on pure ability alone, Nathan Heaney doesn't headline a Goodwin card. On pure ability, Nathan Heaney doesn't headline a Hobson card. On pure ability, Nathan Heaney doesn't headline a Steve Bendel card in Bournemouth on ability. This guy's got far because there, there's some, some people in Stoke, and I guess there's nothing to do in Stoke, right? Now, when they talk about the decline of the high street, they, they use Stoke as an example. Stoke is a, is a town city going backwards at a rate or not. So I'm not saying that to disrespect it. It's what the numbers say. So maybe all they have is a, is a Nathan Heaney. Um, the days of Paul Pesca Solido are done now. Like the days when they... Had a credible team that could push for promotion. That's all done. The days of Ryan Shawcross are done. This is what they've got now. And so they have a show in Telford. Now, I've been to Telford before. Um, Shouts out David Niven. God, those are the days. I've been to Telford, been to Schiffnall, been to all those sorts of mad places before. You don't have a show there. What the hell are you having a show there for? It's ridiculous. And so they just fill it. And genuinely genuinely, like, and I exclude the prospects, I exclude the guys like Moses Atama and Natty Nguyen, like I said, they've got to learn their trade somewhere. But those guys like Brad Stand and, I don't even, like I said, Nathan, Jason Cunningham, this guy's on here with seven losses and Frank's still pushing this, why? That was just, that wasn't even a card where you can go, well, you, you had to fill the time or something because he could have pulled a better card. He, he, he could have literally said, do you know what, BT? Just go and film the Goodwin card on Saturday. Just go and film that. Like, you know, it saves me having to waste my time. And a lot of these boys can just box out of London, make it easy for themselves, save money on hotels and whatnot. That's all they had to do. Now, the, the only highlight from that Frank Warren show was that Moses Atalma stoppage. It looked good. You know what I mean? So shouts out to, to Dan and all the team behind Moses because they took a lot of stick after the Carol Atalma thing. So it's good that they've rebuilt and come back. You know, I'm always going to stand up for the coaches because they don't control everything that happens in that ring. So big respect to Moses onwards and upwards. I still think you've got to take him off TV for a bit. Let him go and get six or seven fights just off the grid so he can make a few mistakes. And then when we see him, he's a lot more polished because I think that's a big difference maker. Because I see it with Jamie Shakiva. And I see the pressure he's under, like the pressure he puts on himself, number one, because he's a televised guy. 
but also the pressure the institution puts on him to keep putting on performances. You almost can't make a mistake now on Sky because they'll put you, they'll put someone else in your slot. You know, Steve Robinson is off doing the small hall thing for a bit. I think they've realised he needs to hone his craft. Fair play. Why not start off that way? Earn your stripes on the small hall scene, then come up. And I know I'm going to disagree with a lot of boxing purists. I don't think area-level fights should ever be on TV. You should be televised when you're past area-level. Because once you get past area-level, it shows you're a competent pro. Because let's just go back to the build-up. In the build-up, they'll all just talk about Andrew Kane being the next superstar. He was going to be this, he was going to be that. Of no real wins of note, of no real achievements, of no real trinkets. Just the fact that he had stopped a load of people. But if you're matched right, you should stop everyone. And then he came up against your, the uh, Baluta, the Romanian kid, I think he is. And Baluta is like, mate, I came from real hardship. I came from a real struggle. You're going to see toughness tonight. And he showed toughness. People say Andrew Kane deserved to win. Uh, I wouldn't have been mad if either side had won. That's how I felt, having watched that fight back. Um... I think it puts a ceiling on Andrew Kane. I think Andrew Kane is one of those guys, he'll be another Lewis Ritson. Not a bad thing, but not what we were being sold. And that's going to be the theme of what we talk about now. We're sold stuff by people in the boxing media. I've been guilty of it. I'll be guilty of it again. We're sold stuff that doesn't match the reality of what our eyes see. Too often we look in and we go... He ain't as good as I was told. He ain't as good as the tweets. He ain't as good as what Bunsey said. He ain't as good as what Carl Frampton says. I don't care how many gym stories they tell me. I can see with my own eyes that this guy is not that good. I felt that with Andrew Kane from the start. I always thought he was limited. And you can always look powerful against people who aren't there to stand up to you. But when someone stands up to you, all of a sudden, <laughs> you don't look the same fighter. And I thought that was the case with Andrew um, Andrew Kane, so I just put him in that Lewis Ritson box that he'll get to a certain point, then he'll become an opponent, and I won't take that long. Um, Nathan Heaney versus Jack Flatley, Jesus, like you wouldn't watch. I I wouldn't watch that anywhere. I just wouldn't watch that anywhere. Like we we've literally got Nathan Heaney on TV because his fans sing Delilah. Like the very song the Welsh banned because it was almost about, wasn't it about like a serial killer or a murderer, a guy that killed his girlfriend? And these guys are still singing it with no hint of irony. That's probably the, the measure of the, of the Heaney army, I don't know. But terrible card. Terrible, terrible, terrible card. Terrible, vomit-inducing, terrible. Terrible. If you ran BT Sport, you'd have dragged whoever it was. Who matchmate that? Steve Furness? You'd have dragged him in and fragging him. What the hell is this? Give me my money back. This is what we paid for. That card was terrible. Absolute garbage. Absolute garbage. That was just... Yeah, it was horrible. That was horrible, horrible, horrible from start to finish. Disgusting. I don't have a good word to say about it. That was disgusting. But and I, I keep saying this. Exclude the prospects. The, the guys under five bouts, exclude them. Because they got to go somewhere. 
I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But the guys who should be delivering more, and you're fighting guys like Jack Flatley, you're going nowhere. Do you know what I mean? You're going nowhere. No one on that card is going anywhere. Like none of the established guys on that card are going anywhere. It was terrible. So let's just talk about Sky quickly. So I think we're a couple of years into this, right? When we've known that Hearn was going to step away from Sky. And we didn't know who was going to get the gig. And we were speculating it would be the Sowlands, it would be this, it would be that. And luckily it wasn't the Sowlands. Thank effing God for that. Whew. We dodged a bullet on that one. So they surprised us even more by giving it to Boxer and Ben Shalom. And if you remember the spiel in the beginning, it was, look guys, a lot of stuff hasn't happened on this platform because certain people couldn't get over their egos. This is all about moving on from that era. This is about delivering for the fans on a Saturday night. This is about giving fans such good fights on a Saturday night that they'll happily go to pay-per-view, right? That's what we were essentially sold. I'm paraphrasing, but we were sold that. And if you remember in the beginning, Ben Shalom didn't do a lot of talking. Just in the background, laid back in the cut, and we're like, wow, this feels good. But the message was clear. We're going to sign a stable of fighters we think are good. And we're going to ride this journey with them until they're in position for world championships. But on that journey, they will fight competitive fights. Some will be on pay-per-view because it warrants that. But most will be on free-to-wear. Well, f- Sky. If you're a subscriber, you get it. And so we're like, okay, this all sounds fair. This all sounds good. We saw the stable they signed, and it was like guys like Huey Fury was on there. Et's al. They said they had access to Eubank Jr., Josh Taylor, through the top rank thing. We're like, okay, there's enough here to keep us going. And when you spoke to people behind the scenes, the expectation was... We don't want prospects getting to 10, 15, and 0 without giving the fans good measuring stick fights. That's what it was. We need to get guys in 50-50s as early as possible. Now, I don't know what's happened behind the scenes in terms of boxing politics. We're nowhere near that now. Saturday was just proof that Sky can't deliver that anymore. They don't have that power. And I don't think it's a Sky problem. I think it's Everyone's throwing more money into boxing than boxing is worth. In the hope they can secure a position further down the line and recoup their money. Boxing history will tell you that this rarely, if ever, happens. So, here we have Sky. The preeminent platform in this country. I don't think anyone debates that. Sky the platform. And fans have been waiting for those consistently powerful cards. You know, but we haven't seen them. Now, the question is, is there a lack of appetite? Is there a lack of money? Someone's got to come out and tell us the truth. Because it's not good enough. You know, you've got Eubank Jr. holding down pay-per-views. You're like, well, what part of the game is that? You've never been able to tempt guys like Dillian? What's happened here? Meanwhile, Hearn's like, I'm on an app in the middle of nowhere, and I'm still not under threat. And even Hearn must be like, oh, God, this isn't good. Hearn must go, my my stable's terrible and I'm still well above water here. And everyone else seems to be drowning. Like, how bad are their stables? How bad is boxing? And that's everything that sort of bubbled into Saturday. Because it was headlined by Lawrence Ocoli. And like I keep saying, I think Lawrence Ocoli is one of the more dominant cruiserweights we've seen. 
I think he's competitive in any era. I think he's a nightmare for Usyk. I think he's a nightmare for Hay. I think he's a nightmare for Holyfield. I think he's a nightmare for O'Neill Bell. I think he's a nightmare for all of those guys. I genuinely do. And you put him in with David Light. No one knows who David Light is. And to be honest, no one cares who David Light is. I want to hear about his amateur record. I don't want to hear about his best score in Scrabble. I don't want to hear anything about David Light. We will never hear about David Light again. Because Sky already got burnt wasting money in one New Zealand. They're not going to do it twice. So Lawrence is in this fight. That doesn't mean anything. It's a mandatory. They talk about, yeah, we have to get it out of the way. <laughs> Whatever. Should never have been the headline. If Lawrence is shaking ring rust off, he shouldn't be headlining a show. How can you headline a show when you're shaking off ring rust? When do Sky Sports ever show Manchester United's under-23s? Because, I don't know, uh, I was going to say Donny van der Beek, but he's not even playing. Christian Eriksen is working his way back to fitness. We don't care. We're like, no, show us when he's ready for the first team. And I don't think Lawrence is too proud to say, I'd have been on the undercard of this. Shake some ring rust off and I'll headline when it's my time. But if Lawrence isn't headlining, who would they had headlining? Nobody. Stable's not good enough. And I don't know, like they're talking about this two, three year journey to get these guys up to a certain level. Who's even gone forward since they signed with Sky? Nobody. Who's mandatory for what? Nothing. No one's mandatory for anything. They haven't positioned anyone. We criticize Hearn, but at least Hearn will tell you this is the path. He's going to go here, then he's going to go here. Then this time next year, he's mandatory for this. He did it with Kel Brook. We saw that. That transparency is what we need from Sky. We're not getting it. And that's problematic for many, many reasons. But chief of them is we're forced to pay this damn subscription. We want to watch the football. Yeah, we've got to pay that subscription. So we're expecting the boxing. At least have your act together. Give us some certainty. So Lawrence jumps in. And we know Lawrence's story. The outside the ring stuff we've discussed already. I, I think kudos to Lawrence for highlighting some of the issues around Eddie Hearn. I think a lot of that stuff gets hidden because people don't want to burn their bridges. But he had, he had the courage to, to talk about it. I don't think it came from a place of malice. I think it came from a place of truth. You guys don't know about the man you're talking about. I do. He's not that good a guy. His loyalties to his family business, not his fighters. And as fans, we don't embrace that enough. Eddie Hearn's loyalty is to the Hearn family, Matchroom, and that's, that's where it stops. So he can live in his lovely house on <coughs> Road in <laughs> yeah we know what we know where it is he can live in that house that i think it was 1.75 million pound house he can live in there and be the king that he is and that's fair play to him but he doesn't care about his fighters he'll care if you're joshua because you bring in the bacon he'll care if you're canelo because he needs you more than you need him but for coley he didn't and he just shared his version of reality and i think he was right to do that I feel Sky overplayed it. I think Sky should have protected him. So once he kind of said it once, that should have been it. And they should have protected him from having to talk about it numerous times. Because that put pressure on Lawrence to perform. And when he didn't, it drew up match from FC to kick him over his performance. I didn't really agree with that. You know, an Akoli performance is an Akoli performance. 
Um, if I look at it with my coaching eyes, I always wonder who, who and what does he believe in when it comes to the ring. And I'm going to explain it because I think there's a lot of nuance to this. You ask any coach, any trainer, any teacher, whatever you want to call that guy who's accountable for the overall camp and performance. They rank mindset over everything else. I will take a fighter who blindly believes in what I'm doing. To the point where they'll just do it. Win, lose or draw, they'll always do it. Because when we train people, the attitude is this. The only person who should beat you is someone who should walk into the Hall of Fame. That's how I look at it. My aim is to train my guys to be so good at what we do that you've got to be special to overcome that. And if you're special and you overcome it, there's nothing you can do. That's just that one in a million person. Yeah? The worst thing you can have in your coaching life is someone you train for months and every time they jump in the ring, they just do what they want to do. Because what, what am I supposed to do to remedy that? Like... I'm teaching you a certain framework and I can make adjustments within that framework. You start acting outside that framework, I'm having to make up stuff that I'm not necessarily solid on. So now we're all gambling. And I think you saw this with Tony Yoka. Yoka wasn't doing what Virgil Hunter wanted him to do. There's no way Virgil Hunter wanted that kind of performance. And so Yoka boxed like he had no confidence in what he was being taught. And what he tried to do, if you notice in that Takam fight, is he tried to revert back to that style that got him the gold medal in the Olympics. Because he can't let go of that. Yeah? No one has given him enough trust or enough credibility for him to trust and believe in what they're doing. And so you see someone like Yoko who's like, I don't know what the hell to do now. I'm lost in the ring. Now, Lawrence, it's not that Lawrence is lost in the ring. I don't think he is. I think like Lawrence could go his whole career undefeated the way he boxes. But there's more in him. That's the harsh reality that people don't want to accept. There's more in Lawrence. And sometimes it's not about teaching someone stuff. It's about freeing them up and going, who do you want to be in that ring? Who do you want to be? Let's build that. Let's build that. But in exchange for building that, you're going to have to be that person 100% of the time in that ring. Are you prepared to do that? That's what made guys like Angelo Dundee really good. They didn't over-engineer a fighter, but they got their fighters to be consistent versions of themselves in a fight. That's the hard part. Sugar Hill's job is to get Lawrence to be the most consistent version of who he wants to be in that ring. And I don't think we know the answer to that yet. At the moment, he's just boxing to win. I think he needs to get to a point where he says, either... I want to be Thomas Hearns or a version of Thomas Hearns where I keep it long and I just whip punches in, fully committed. Or I want to be this, this version of me, which is being on the back foot, counter punching and grinding people down until they get tired. And it doesn't matter which one it is. As long as he's willing to believe in it, he can go a long way. And against David Light, we kind of saw that confusion that we saw with Joker where it's like, what do I do here? Because at any point from round six onwards, Lawrence could have just banged his gloves and said, I'm going to stay in the middle of this ring. And every time you come forward, I'm just going to bury my, my left and my right hand in your face, in your guard, whatever. And if your guard's in the way, I'm going to come around the corner. 
And if you think you're being slick, wait till I go to the body and break your ribs. He could have done all of that. But you need, you need that, that scaffolding around you that says, we're going to build you into the version of you that you want to be in that ring, that you believe is the best version of you in that ring. And that's when you really earn your money. Now, is it easier to do with Fury? 100% because Fury's been doing this thing for a lot longer. You know, Lawrence is still new to this. And he's learning. So I'm prepared to give Lawrence time. But I also accept that this is just who Lawrence is for now. And fans will go, oh, he's boring. But a lot of it came from, I think a lot of the negativity and the booing that was in the arena came from the Hearn thing. It's like, well, mate, I mean, you threw rocks at Eddie Hearn about how he performed towards you. Cool. Look at how you're performing towards us. We're going to throw rocks at you. It's just part of the course of boxing. But Lawrence is a guy you stick with because the real magic will be when he gets to heavyweight. That's when we'll find out everything we want to know about Lawrence. That's when I'll be most interested. So Lawrence wins, beats David Light. Um, how the hell David stood up to a couple of those shots beyond me, so credit to his toughness. But now what? Like, you've known that you're going to sign Lawrence for a while because this has been going back and forth for a while. What I was expecting to hear after that fight was Ben Shalom to say, on Monday, I'm calling J.O. Pattaya's management team. We're going to make that fight happen this summer. That was all I wanted to hear. Like you've, had, you've had enough time to get that ball rolling. Where was that? I'm hearing React Paul. Okay, no, no. I don't mind that fight further down the line, but I feel that React Paul might have some unfinished business domestic and European level first, which is just my opinion. Let Lawrence go and unify. Or if you're not, let Richard unify. Let one of these guys do it. Get these belts. But once again, we're not hearing Sky talk about acquiring the belts. Because once you've got that real estate, we can just run a tournament in the UK. You can have an all-cruiserweight card. That has never been discussed either. That Bill and Smith show should have been an all-cruiserweight affair. They're enough. Why don't we do that? My theory is... These stables are so thin, you just got to drag it out. It's like mixing tea leaves into your weed and selling it to university students. You can get away with it because they're not connoisseurs. They don't know what they're looking for. And that's what we're being said. Like the stuff we're being sold as boxing, it's just stepped on stuff. It's like cut cocaine for God's sake. It's just, you're sniffing rat poison when you watch some of these shows. And I feel for Lawrence because he's like, how can I get excited about these fights? I'm not scared of these guys. Get me Richard. Get me another world title. Get me the things I've asked for. And you'll see me elevate. And he's quite right. Then when you look at that card, what else was there to talk about? Let's, Fraser Clark was on there. Fraser Clark. Um, who did he fight? He fought Bogdan Dinu. Um, journeyman for hire. Um, cut his head. Broke his rib. What else can you say about the fight? Uh, Fraser Clark is a conundrum. So here's the thing with Fraser Clark. You don't come up as a junior, go through the GB system, spend a decade in Sheffield with, with McCracken and everybody else, if there's not something about you. Now, the other question is, is this GB system good for you or bad for you? All the information that's coming out now is telling us it's not great for you. Coming out the GB system is not good for you. 
because they've almost distilled amateur boxing to such a precise formula that if you don't fit that, you're going to get excluded. If you do fit that, you're so far from the professional requirements that you're going to struggle. And I think you're seeing that with Fraser Clark. He can't understand why he can't just let his hands go. He can't understand that. Subconsciously, you can see it. He's like, I should let my hands go, like I did in the amateurs. But there's pressure on you to get knockouts. There's pressure on you to hurt people. You're dealing with people who are hard as nails now. Not just good athletes who are trying to pick you off. These are guys who are like, I can wait you out. And when you get tired, you're going to get hurt. So there's that fear. The gloves are smaller. The pain is increased. And you can see all of this stuff has taken a toll on him. And having been in that comfort of the GB setup, he is struggling. There's a good heavyweight in Fraser Clark somewhere. There is because he knows too much about boxing not to be good. Is it a mentality thing? Is it a camp thing? Does he need to be in an environment that's horrible, that's scary, that's intimidating, where they're going to run you into the ground? Is that where he needs to be? I don't know. But at the moment, you wouldn't put him in with Nathan Gorman. You wouldn't put him in with Fabio Wardley. I don't think he's competitive at that level right now. But this is an Olympic bronze medalist. Like, if not now, when? He keeps talking about Fabio Wardley. I'm like, you're talking to a, about a guy who was, who was white collar. He was white collar five years ago. You weren't. You were an elite amateur five years ago. And now that's your rival? That's... It's, how do you describe Fraser Clark in a way that's relatable? Uh, there's your answer, I guess. I'll give you an example. When I was young, I thought the E60, the BMW E60 M5 would have been like the greatest car ever made, right? Saw the reviews, everything was, uh, that's an incredible car. I knew a guy that got one. And I asked him, how is it? And he just said, man, I hate this car. I'm like, but it's, it's insanely fast. What was it, 507 brake? He's like, yeah, 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 that's all amazing. But you get to 120 miles an hour and you hold it for long enough, this car will fall apart. And that's how I feel about Fraser Clark. I feel there's all this good stuff in him in theory. But I just feel maybe we're not going to see the best of it. Maybe he can't get that rubber on the road the way that he should. And that's going to be the worry because if we're not talking British title by the summer, not even like end of the year, by the summer, that's another year gone. So when does he fight for a world title? 39, 40? And I don't want to hear anyone tell me, oh, well, Joe Joyce did it. Joe didn't have mileage on him. Joe, Joe... Joe just hadn't had mileage. He came to the sport so late in life, he still hasn't got mileage on him. Fraser has. And Joe was a far more dominant amateur than Fraser was. Fraser was a guy that had to mix it. Joe could steamroller people. Because that counts when you're trying to work out who's got mileage and who hasn't. So when I see Fraser Clark, I look at it from this perspective of there's something there. I don't know if he's in the environment to bring it out. 
and that, that's the question that he has to answer with his team. I was surprised he didn't go with someone like Clifton Mitchell because that would have been good for him. He'd have understood how to move quickly as a heavyweight. That, but I don't know. Lessons learned. But for me, you're putting you're putting these cards on. This isn't TV quality programming at all. This is this is hogwash, isn't it? It's a hogwash. So then the rest of the card is just strictly small hall or just prospects. You know, I like I like seeing Kara Sarting still. I've got, got a lot of time for her because I think if the brakes were truly taken off her, she'd be icing people. She's got that in her, man. She's a young woman who who's come through a lot and found discipline in the army, found discipline through boxing, and then went on to become an Olympic bronze medalist. I just don't think this thing of we're going to keep her on ice for Paris 2024 is working. I think she's caught between styles, like a lot of these guys are. And they're still flattering to deceive. I'd like to see her sit down on a shots ball. I'd like to see Lauren Price sit down on a, shot, a shots ball. But the GB guys aren't teaching that because they can't teach that. But I'm surprised McCracken can't because that was his bread and butter for a long time. But I'll always give Karis Artinstall a chance because I think she's good. Um, it was good to see Sam Antwi boxing on the show, but you know what are they doing with Sam? How's he boxing in six rounders now? That feels a bit disrespectful. Yeah, there's Aaron McKenna guy. I think he's one of the McKenna brothers, isn't he? Like Irish dudes boxing out of America. And sorry, Ireland, I'm just not convinced you guys produce boxers that will make it at the top. Just my opinion, because it happens so rarely, and I can't understand that because your amateur system's so damn good. And so yeah, there's a whole card. I think. People talking up Callum Simpson as a kid to to watch out for. Um, not yet. I mean, we, we need to see him with someone that we recognise and we can sort of work out what he is from there. This felt a bit showcasey, which is fine, but you go down the card and you're like, Ugh. just, Ugh. and we haven't even talked about Michael Gomez versus Levi Giles. I wanted to say that for last because... We need to stop the fixation with the kids of former fighters as if that stuff just passes down the bloodline. We've seen with Eubank Jr., we've seen with Conor Ben, we've seen with Callum uh, Campbell Hatton, and now we're seeing this with Michael Gomez Jr. They're not their dads. I don't think they've had to overcome the same stuff that their dads had to. I think they're just sort of like the diet version of their parents. And that's fine. But... That Michael Gomez Jr., the shove he did on Levi Giles at the, at the face-to-face was disgraceful. How the board haven't suspended his license already is beyond me. Be- Here's the thing that makes that a big problem. The way Levi Giles fell, he could have hit his head and knocked himself out. Yeah. That's the harsh reality. of That was so reckless. Like, Ben Shalom should come out and say Michael Gomez Jr. doesn't fight on a boxer show again for three years because he's got to understand there are minimums, the minimum standards that are expected of people to be fighting on Sky. I thought that was utterly disgraceful. If it had just been like a little scuffle, a little pointing, poking someone's chest, I get that. But it was premeditated. He walked up, went head first, and even before they've clashed heads properly, he just went with the push. What an absolutely embarrassing performance. And, and nothing. We don't hear anything from the powers that be about a sanction. And I felt for Levi Giles, who then went into the ring and 
boxed the fight that he wanted to box for as long as he could. Acquitted himself well. I thought scorecards were shocking. Like, that's the second Sky show in a row I've seen with shocking scorelines. I'm like, yeah, there's a problem with judging now. I don't know. It's hard because people say, well, how did you score the fight? And my, my attitude is, don't score the fight unless you're being paid to score the fight because you're not going to feel the same pressure. But it didn't feel like a fight that Michael Gomez won. Didn't even feel like it was a close enough fight to say, well, there's an argument for Michael Gomez. I can see why he he's not flying higher. He's no, these were two guys who, like I said, this this is small hall level fighting. It's not it's not great. The card was it wasn't good. It was horrible. If you're having a meeting now with Sky going, that card was horrible. Didn't make sense. And I, I'm not going to be a guy, I don't know if it was Al Siesta who did the matchmaking here, so I don't want to give Al a kicking because he's got to feel his way in. But if the ethos of Boxer was we're going to have young guys in competitive fights early, I get that. They're doing it with Adam Azim, and I'm, I'm on board with that 100%. Everyone should be going through that. Fraser Clark should be fighting people. They should be talking about Fraser versus Dave Allen. Why is that not being mentioned? Let Fraser fight Dave Allen. If I was in Fraser's shoes, I would have said, give me Lucas Brown. Give me Jarrell Miller. But I think if you ask Fraser, honestly, he'll tell you he's not ready for that. I'm like, well, when the hell are you ready? What are you ready for? Send him to the same place you send Steve Robinson if he's not ready. There are plenty more heavyweights who are willing to step into that and go, right, I'll fight anyone, anytime, win, lose or draw. But, yeah, I think there are problems at Sky if this is what we've got to look forward to. And I see they've got dates out there, Bill and Smith's boxing on, I think, May 27th. That's all well and good. Who's he fighting? You don't know yet. So you want me to book a hotel to go and watch this fight in May? I'm like, well, who's he fighting? And I tell you what, they don't know. Because they've got to wait to see how many tickets are shifted to work out what they can afford. crazy absolutely crazy that this is this is how flat boxing is at the moment this is how how backwards it is but what can you do honestly what can you do now we're stuck with this it can't get any better like i think those three shows are so bad i would understand anyone who said i may as well just get to zone and just do a deal with the devil so there was a good one show on saturday as well um and to be fair, a lot of those fights could have easily been on any of these televised shows and not been out of place. Maybe even elevated the card in some ways. Our main event was Linus Adolfia versus Robbie Chapman, which I don't even know what weight that was made at, but Linus is the middleweight, and Robbie, to be honest, is quite happy to float around a light heavyweight. So I don't know if they made it just under 168. Uh, I know Robbie trains looks. I see Robbie about once a week, uh, same fitness gym. So I see Robbie about once a week. And he's always sharp. He's got a couple of guys that he's training as well. So I know he, he's always going to be in shape because he's working every week. But uh, it's, it's, I'm a massive Lionel Tadofia fan. Forget the boxing for a minute. Just forget, forget boxing. I could sit down and spend a day with Linus and enjoy myself. Lionel Tadofia is a good man. Top man. Good love. 
Anyone who's interacted with him speaks highly of him. Linus Adolphia should have a British title. Linus Adolphia should be on a mainstream TV network. He has that everyman appeal that this whole country can get behind. Like Denzel has. That's why Denzel has got as far as he has. That's why Dan has got as far as he has. Like, wherever you are in the country, you may live in a town that's got no black people. But you'll see Dan and go, do you know what, man? I could imagine having a beer with Dan. I could imagine having a beer with Denzel. I could imagine a beer with Linus. And on, on, the, on the scale of most likely to want to have a beer, I put Linus at the top there. I think there's something about not being from London that makes you relatable to more of the country. And Linus being from Luton, I think that helps. He's got that everyman appeal that I think is marketable. So I ask the question, what's gone wrong? Because guys like Zach Chelly have just moved on. Been and gone. Den- Denzel. There was a time back in the day where you'd have said Linus was ahead of Denzel. Denzel's gone. Hamza Shiraz has arrived and gone. And so I'm like, what's happened to Linus? Because he's at that age now where he's got to hit the accelerator. And I know he's been on this, he's been on Haymaker, he's been on Sal, he's been on all of these things. And the simple truth for me is, he should be doing better than he is, which is my opinion. I don't know if that's a training thing, don't know if it's a management thing, don't know if it's a promotional, I don't know what it is because I'm not close enough to the detail. But as an outsider looking in, I do go, what's happened with Linus? Does he need to change his training setup? Does he need a different training philosophy, a different attitude? Does he need to be somewhere else that's going to draw the best out of him? Does he need to be in there day in, day out with guys like Denzel, uh, Jordan Reynolds, the Fail Brothers? Does he need to be in that kind of environment where every day they're like, yo, you still think you're the man here? Prove to us that you belong here. I don't know. I want to see him thrive, though. I do want to see him fight for a British this year. I, I, that's what I want to see. I don't care who it's against. I want to see him fight for a British because I think he's that, he's that much of a potential star that he should. He shouldn't be going 59-55 with Robbie Chapman. And I'm not even saying that to be disrespectful to Robbie. I love Robbie. That should be a clinic from Linus. So what's happening? I don't know. I'm not going to go too far on that. I'm sure you know, there are answers to that. I might ask a question on Ring Talk. But I want to see Linus fulfill his potential. It's vast, man. The guy can, the guy can pretty much do it all. And I think... Sometimes it's just change your environment, change your outcomes. Um, what else happened on that Goodwin card? Quite a touching moment, actually, on the Goodwin card, where lad called Rob, Rob Parry, fights a guy called Timon Duglin on the card. Nondescript fight, you know, doesn't mean much to anyone, but in Rob Parry's corner was my school friend, Alec McDonald. As I'm following this journey on Facebook, because like, me and Alec are made like that, as I see him at your call, I'm like, what's he doing at a Goodwin show? So he tells me that Rob Parry was his old army mate. And so he came and did the corner, you know, because they're mates. And I thought, like, wow, what a great moment. And then I paused and I reflected and I went, I went to school with Alec McDonald. And like at school, our, our sports of interest, paradoxically, was swimming and rugby. 
So Alec was like a, a proper, proper swimmer. If he had been three or four inches taller, he would have probably swam in the Olympics. Like, I've never seen someone. All the time I knew him, he'd get up in the morning and do his swimming training when he didn't even have to. Always in shape. Like Alec was one of those guys when we were kids. Like he was, yeah, he has the same DNA that Jay Cutler has. I'm sure of it. Because I've never seen him overweight, never seen him fat, never seen him out of shape. So me and Alec, yeah, he was a swimmer. I was a rugby guy. We were mates. We've been mates ever since, never fallen out. And then I think through boxing, we've kind of reconnected as well. And like, so he runs his Spartan fight thing out of Abingdon in Oxfordshire. Um, he's coming on stream with some people now. And I'm so proud of him. Just as a friend, I'm like, wow, think about where we started 20 odd years ago. Who would have thought we'd end up here? And I'm talking about Macca um, cornering someone on a Steve Goodwin show. And it's just mad how these things connect themselves. But yeah, man, that's, that's one of those moments I quite enjoyed, you know, in the back of my mind. I was like, wow, how far have we come? What I'm going to do is I'm going to park here for this very important reason. No, actually, no, I'm not. No, 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 I'm not. I'm going to tell you why. I want to do a separate one on this whole Joshua Franklin thing. I don't want to talk about it on this one because I feel it's, it's too much. But it's just occurred to me that I haven't talked about Kayla Plant versus David Benavidez. And I haven't talked about the Richard Comet card, which I should touch on briefly. Uh, man, this is going to be a long one. So Kayla Plant fights um, David Benavidez. What I like this fight is you've got two guys who, who go running into danger. Never hear about, yeah, we can fight further down the line, we can do this, we can do that. None of that nonsense that we've been brainwashed to accept in this country. So these two guys fight, right? One's fought Canelo, one deserves to fight Canelo. So we want to find out, of all the people not called Canelo, who's the best at 168? And Benavidez showed he's, he's different. I don't think Canelo's watching that going, that's easy work. Because what, what, what did Benavidez really show? He showed that he's tough, because Plant can hit. Plant's accurate, he's fast, and he's, he's got a good style. And he, you'll find out if you're tough against Caleb Plant. And Benavidez showed it, and he showed that he can overcome all of that and impose his will on someone who I'd say is pretty elite. Caleb Hunter Plant is a hell of a fire. And he was able to dominate him. And in some cases, you thought he was going to stop him. And so as I'm observing this, I'm like, okay, wow, this, he can do this to Canelo. You know when the flurries come from Benavides, and he's six foot two, he's a big guy. The sort of guy that if Callum Smith got a phone call saying, would you fight Benavides? You know Smith would say no. There's nothing Callum Smith could do to resist that. And I would like to see Benavides go up to 175 if he can't get the Canelo fight. Because he looks like he can carry everything up to 175, and he may even be stronger at 175. But it was, interest, it was interesting because Caleb's got the uh, Stephen Edwards, right? The guy from Philly who worked with J-Rock. You know the guy who does the column in boxing scene? And it goes to show anyone can be right after the event. Everyone is correct when looking back. We're all intelligent when looking back. But where was all of that intelligence and old school knowledge when it came to fighting Benavides? Simple answer. Couldn't do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some, you win some, you lose some as a trainer. But it's just a reminder that knowledge of boxing doesn't equate to ability to teach boxing. There's a big gap between those two things. And so respect the people who get the results. Like you know, the Benavides family always seem to deliver. 
or kind of both both kids have that kind of aggressive will come after you style because they're quite tall and lean. I quite like it. And I'd like to see him fight Canelo next. And I don't think there's an excuse after the Ryder fight. September, let's see that fight happen. Um, from her, and I'm like, avoid at all costs. But that should be the fight. Like, I think that makes Benavidez interim champion, so the fight's got to happen. I can see the belts getting vacated, unfortunately. But that was a good fight. Um, Chris Colbert fought Jose Valenzuela. Shocking judging. In that. I can't believe Valenzuela lost that fight because Chris Colbert, for all the dyed hair and the silly trunks and the antics and the hype and all of this stuff, looks fragile at 135, looked fragile at 130. He's got a bit of the Linares about him. If you can outmuscle him, you throw him clean off his game. You know, and so we'll, we'll see what happens. But if I'm a prospect, I'm looking at Colbert's easy work. You wouldn't put him in with a Tank or a Devin Haney. You wouldn't put him in with those guys because, I mean, I think he just gets minced. And so on the top rank card, you had um, one of our favorites, man, Richard Comey, a good guy. A guy who's always entertained in his weight class. You know, a guy who's a class act. Um, you know, we know him in this country because he did a couple of small hall shows. I think he was meant to do the DeBella thing here. That was going to be the link up. And so he fights Jose Ramirez. Ah, I guess put down twice in round 11. And I guess you're kind of looking at him being a gatekeeper now, which is sad because like, he's one tough man. You know, on that top-ranked card, he did all right. But the fight for me that was of most interest was the way, I think it was, was it Antonio Morellis, the six-foot-nine heavyweight. Funny what Tyson Fury creates. And now it's this idea that anyone who's six-foot-nine can be a heavyweight champion. So he fights... Um, God, I always forget these kind of Samoan names, but he fights, he fights a guy, I think it's Patrick Mailata. As soon as you see a name like that, you've got to know that that Maori fighting spirit's coming out. He might even be Tongan or Samoan, so I don't want to disrespect by conflating them. But he's from, he, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely of Polynesian descent. Boomed a shot down on this guy. I've never seen a guy go down that slow. He took three or four shots on his way down. Like the downside of being six feet nine. Ended up literally, he looked like a like a giraffe drinking water. Worse than David Price did. He looked like a giraffe just or even how do you describe it? You know when James Brown did the splits when he was performing? It was something like that. And you're like, ooh, that wasn't good. And so that Morellas guy gets back up and wins the fight. I'm like, how the hell did he <laughs> These judges don't care anymore, do they? They're going to rob you blind, which I find, ah, man, I find it unbelievable. But I love seeing stuff like that when you see these, these guys, because here's what happens. Everyone just assumes that you can get, you just get a six foot nine guy and he's going to be incredible, man. It's really hard to build heavyweights because they kind of only have one way to win, which is normally power. If you don't have power and you don't have resilience, you're kind of done as a heavyweight. That's why Derek's gone so far, because he's resilient as hell. Same with Takam. That's why they can box into their 40s. Whereas I think if you're in a lower weight class, yes, you've got to take more shots, but there are more ways to win. You can win on just sheer skill. You can win on sheer power. You can win on defense. You can win on so many different levels, which you can't as a heavyweight. You, heavyweight's just whoever falls over first loses. So in this case, I'm like, Morales gets knocked down 
I think it might have been the first round, maybe second. In a six-round fight, I'm like, how do you lose that? Like you've got, you've got to just essentially lose every other round now. So, I, you know, I don't know what the judging's coming to now. But in essence, those American cards were more entertaining than the British cards. I know one was pay-per-view, one wasn't, but there you go. We need to do better. I don't think we have done. And I think, yeah, let me draw a line there because I'm absolutely cooked. This fasting thing gets to you after a while. But the point I want to make is, and I started this with the beginning, we had three cards on TV and about nine others around the country. And not, not one person had the wherewithal to go, let's just make a super card. We've got a mediocre level of talent in Britain right now. If you were to aggregate everything, it's a mediocre level of talent. And it's spread too thin. This is how you kill a sport. It's going to be so hard to get Fraser Clark in with Fabio Wardley, but we need to see that. Um, Why don't we just get Jonas against Clarissa Shields done? I mean, shot in the arm for boxing. All these fights should be made to happen. A Cody react pool or let a Cody unify, whatever. And then let these guys fight each other, both go up to heavyweight. Then we can build these cruiserweights. We can get Vidal Riley in the mix, all of this. And we're not doing any of that because people are so concerned with spreading out this product so, so they can fill their shows. No, if you can't fill a show, don't have a show. But if you are going to have a show, make it good. Uh, let me tap out. Like I said, um, there'll be a Joshua one following, but I just felt, you know, if I wanted to go into depth on that, we'd be here for another hour. So let me, let me stop now and say the Joshua one will come. And I think as Media Week moves on, we'll get more and more details anyway, so we can work off that. Right, you guys take care.